This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. This is where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. I'm joined here today again, yes, privileged once again, uh, with our good friend Mick Ironimo, the former Prince of Persia. <laughs> I knew we were going to have fun today, Eddie. It's, come on, it's always fun. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on. I just want to let you know this is part two of the series and if you haven't listened to the first installment please do so at this time and uh, we'll wait for you right here eddie this time around linda's going to talk about daily trends time frames and different paths to confidence Ooh, confidence i'm all for building confidence in any career uh, you're looking at to succeed in I hear you like video games. I, you know what? I love video games. Yeah, Mick, I've been playing video games since Pong. Well, I have to say that's well before my time. All right there, kid. <laughs> um, but speaking of video games, Linda talks about how intensity can relay a trader into a gaming mindset. Uh, what did she say about that? How about we stop with the teasing and we'll jump right into it and let her explain it. All right. Okay. Without further ado, part two. Mix interview with Linda Raschke. I want to skip ahead to something else, and this was also back when I was rereading uh, your new Market Wizard section. Earlier in your career, you, you talked about a large loss. Basically, said it sucked, but you weren't worried about it. Uh, you knew that you could make that money back. What I didn't get from that book was how did you have that confidence? You know, after a big loss, I mean, it hurt. Um, to rehash it, you know, you had you had lost a little bit more than you had in your account at the time, but you know, you had a quick answer with uh, Jack Schwager and a quick response, um, you know, that was so confident, like I knew I could make it back. Where'd you get that confidence from, Linda? Wow, um, I think a lot of people can look back at other things in their life and derive confidence from that. Maybe they're good at something else. Um, maybe there was one person in their life when they were growing up that praised them. It could be a teacher. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. It could be um, – or just knowing that you've – come back from uh, a bad experience in the past um, sports. I know a lot of people that have been um, uh, exceptional in sports, you know, uh, football, basketball, baseball, you know, you're not going to win every point, you know, and so you, you know that if you keep playing, you're going to have a winning game too. And um, I think that's how it is. You have to look at it like a game, not anything personal. Um, you have to believe in uh, the numbers. For example, let's say you're a very um, good poker player. I think you have to have confidence that if you keep playing enough games, you'll have your edge come out. Um, uh, poker's not a great analogy because I'm a lousy poker player. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's got to be some analogy with cards in there. I know it, you know. Um, I, I, you know, um, I'm sure part of it has to do with how people are brought up, but it doesn't mean that you have to have somebody uh, stroking you when you're growing up. I mean, a lot of people are self-made people and mm -hmm. you, you, you um, have to draw your power and strength that you're a survivor in one way or another, or, or, you know, 
in one area of your life. And um, I, I think you have to have that in the in the markets to be a trader. You have to find some source of confidence somewhere. Now, if you feel like you don't have that, you, you've still got doubts and so forth, there's workarounds for that. Perhaps if you start uh, doing your own research and modeling and some serious number crunching, um, you might be more of a statistical bent. And mm -hmm. then you can come up with your confidence through that. You did your own work. You have confidence in your own work and, and you know, you, you know what the numbers, you know, can, can tell you. So um, confidence can come from different areas, from different people. I think I had confidence because I knew that I was really good at concentrating. I was so good at concentrating from practicing the piano all those years. Uh, and I also knew, because um, I had put myself through school, I worked like zillions of jobs every single year and had a few student loans, but for the most part, I was practically working full time. So I knew that I could take care of myself no matter what. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to be like a little snowflake with a rug yanked out <laughs> from underneath my little petty manicure thing or whatever, you know? So, um, you're a go-getter. Yeah. So that that's where my source of com you know confidence came from, just knowing that I could apply my mind, you know, that I had that ability, and I had a work ethic that you know very few people had. I was just going to make it happen. But it, that you know, I'm sure everybody finds their own path in their own way. I have seen so many people in this business from such diverse backgrounds, rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people. Um, I don't know if you remember pictures of Genghis who used to work for me, Mick, um, when I was down in Florida. He worked for me about six months, just to, sort of an internship. And this fellow actually had come to a conference that I had done in night. Um, maybe like 2002. No, it was, I know it was, it was like a week after the World Trade Center got hit. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have any education. He had tattoos all over his body. He was bald. He had a golden earring like Sinbad the Sailor. <laughs> and he had jackhammered concrete for 20 years. His knees were shot. His hearing was shot. And he's like, there has to be a better way to make a living. And um he had borrowed $30,000 on a credit card. Obviously, this was like pre-2007. Right. And, um, and his, his cousin had gotten into a Ken Roberts course. I, I don't know if it was like options or what, but that's how he had his introduction to the market. And he was just a self-made person. He had never been the sports player or the pro athlete. He hadn't gone through college, but somehow he had this – very strong sense of himself and mm -hmm. who he was and, you know, his ability to concentrate. And he, he wasn't an emotional person. I think that's very helpful. I mean, I'm not an emotional person. But so you see, there's not yeah. one right or wrong. Everybody has their own path and there's lots of different ways to get confidence. And that is such powerful stuff. I'm, I'm really happy you walked us through all that. Um, I, that that's really powerful stuff. And, you know, people say in trading, nobody's got the magic potion. But if I guess you could get 
as close to possible as a magic potion in one way, shape, or form, it would be having that confidence in yourself. Um, that that could be, you know, the 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 only magic potion out there. Yeah, I think you know, rituals and routines are helpful. You know, when I was trading, I I started when I started trading the S and Ps, I I would write down the ticks and and the trin and the reading, uh, the price and the bonds every five minutes throughout the day. And so when you're doing that, writing something down every five minutes, it gets you in the zone. You're in the groove. You're concentrating. You're not overly thinking things. You're just going through the motion and waiting for your spot. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that rituals and routines like that are also very helpful for gaining in confidence. The more you can screen out noise, um, eliminate the Twitter nonsense. Too much um, information out there at your fingertips yeah, almost. If, if you get rid of that, I think that um, your confidence will actually go up. Yeah, I think that would be helpful too. Uh, you know, I, I know that's an issue. Some some traders. I, when I first started, I um, you know I knew I wanted to get into the industry. I was thinking I'd be trading on the floors before the evolution to the screens, and um, I was uh, I was pretty excited when I, I did start trading, and it was on the screen. I was like, oh, I have all these markets at my fingertips. What are all these indicators on the charts? I I tried you know going through them all, going through them all, going through them all realized that you know all that outside information twitter was part of it news feed since you're sitting in front of a computer and not down on the floor i thought that i'll be advantageous and in some ways it is but in other ways it can be very detrimental um you know over time i think you'll figure out what works for you and i've heard number of uh traders successful traders mention that they t need to block out the noise just like you so um i hope the viewer uh, the listeners out there really remember that um Speaking of the listeners, you know, many traders out there aspire to be successful. And once they become successful, a lot of them aspire to manage other people's money, not just their own. Um, you, Linda, having one of the best track records out there with assets under management, can you talk to us a little bit about your transition of going from trading for only yourself to going into that world of managing other people's money? Put it uh, in the context of developing a program first, and then it doesn't matter if you're doing the program on your money or a client's money or a fund's money. You need to come up with a methodology that's scalable. Mm -hmm. So start as that. Um, you know, with your as your departure point. Um, once I had a program that I felt was. Uh, a, a consistent methodology. I did it on my own funds for two years. And then I um, asked a, a friend for an account so I could prove that I could do it on other people's money. Mm -hmm. Because what you'll find in this business is usually people will trade better for their own account, but poorly on other people's money. Either they've got a fear of losing for them or, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. Or they'll trade poorly on their own money because they're overly sloppy, but trade fine on other people's monies. That's interesting. So um, that's why it's so important when you are looking to manage money, you do have to have a real-time track record. You absolutely have to. And not only that, you need to then show a track record on somebody else's 
money so that okay. you're not going to raise money until you do that. And it's really easy. It doesn't have, I mean, you could ask, you know, a dad or a friend or a family member, you know, for a, a $15,000 account or a $20,000 account or whatever you can wrangle up, you know, get a, get a little pool of family members to each put in $3,000, you know, <laughs> make it happen, you know, but then show proof of concept that you could run your program on this outside account equally well and then you take that track record and that's what's going to interest people there are a few other um vehicles you can use some people have had success doing that robin's cup the robin's uh world i don't know you trade it and uh it t does a real-time track record um i don't know my my husband damon knows all about it i think alexander el not oh john ellers uh i think just started it up with uh, damon's firm and um it it, it it so it's it's like it's audited okay you okay. don't have to be a cta that way but it's it's audited it's online it's proof of concept you can go you can see the equity curve plotted and um that's really important. Okay. So yeah, if you can't if you can't raise money a separate account from friends or family, that's definitely uh, something to consider. I think there's like two or three other things out there that will track your trades um, or your calls or your signals, be it uh, on a simulator or uh, real time. Okay. So. Interesting. I haven't heard of that one. Um, going back to once you have your, your system, uh, going back to scaling, would you, um, elaborate on how you did scale it? For example, um, would you say, okay, I'm, I'm managing my money I, let's just use 10 contracts in futures as an example. Okay. I trade 10 contracts for every X amount of dollars in my account when it comes to scaling that, do you basically just, um, you know, I know we talked about unit sizing. Sometimes we do a quarter unit, a half unit, a full unit. Do you do you try and simplify it to this would be a unit under, you know, if I have a $100,000 account, my one unit size is this. And then if it's a two-unit, um, $200,000 account, one unit size would be, you know, maybe going from 10 contracts to 20 contracts. Is, is that how you had started to scale as you grew yeah, I was. Uh, we would calculate out the dollar range for the uh, particular market. So, for example, if the S and P's have an average daily range of ten points, it's a little bit more than that, but that would yeah. be like five hundred dollars exactly. And if gold has an average daily range of twenty dollars, that's two thousand mm -hmm. dollars, right? Yeah. So you're going to trade four times as many S and P contracts in a unit as you would gold. Right. See, then it's all equally weighted. So maybe I would trade four E-mini contracts per $100,000, but I would only trade one gold contract per $100,000. So then on a million dollars, I'm trading 10 gold futures and 40 E-minis. So it's very adjustable. Okay. Thanks for running us through that because I know, you know, there's really no trader out there who just wants to, you know, kind of slowly go along and not, you know, everybody, everybody wants to, you know, do very well. So I know that's something that a lot of traders think about. So thank you for running us through that.
Linda is a fantastic um, equestrian rider, and one of the things that her routines outside of the markets, you know, she talked about having a, uh, you know, routines for things you do on a daily basis to, you know, just keep your life fulfilled and stuff. Um, one of those is riding horses. Uh, I know the others boating on Toy Story. That is Damon. More yes. Damon's. I know. I know you go along with it. You, you play along. Just along in fair weather when the lake is calm. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, to kind of go on the opposite of side of what we just talked about about traders aspiring to be successful out there. Um, a lot of traders struggle early on, and um, I know I was one of them. Uh, I know you had a, a setback, whether or not you'd say that was a struggle or not. You still had to, you know, be focused and concentrated, and you know, put your nose to the grindstone and kind of battle back to, you know, make that money back. Um, it was something you did you will probably wouldn't have been able to do without the confidence that you had but for a trader who's um struggling early on do you think it's almost healthy for a trader to struggle early on as opposed to someone who's new who's new to the futures markets and just all of a sudden starts knocking it out of the park their first year do you think that you know, knocking it out of the park your first year is beneficial or potentially detrimental. Um, basically, do you think it's good to kind of have a chip on your shoulder early on? No, nobody likes to work with a chip on their shoulder. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just to put things in context, when I lost money, I was short straddles in a takeover stock. I had no idea. I mean, nobody had ever seen a stock gap up that much at that time. So, yeah. um, you know, my mentor had the same position on. My backer had the same position. We all got nailed. I just didn't have as much money in my account. And then it, it wasn't like I had the confidence to make it back. I, did, I just didn't have any choice. I mean, I owed mm -hmm. all this money. And my clearing firm actually got me a job, you know, uh, trading for somebody else. They would kind of dictate uh, for what, what, for what me, you know, I should do. And I'd run around the floor and put these positions on. So, you know, it wasn't quite like you would find nowadays. Um, I don't see anybody knocking it out of the park right when they start off trading, though, because, you know. Everybody seems to be a little respectful, so you're usually going to be on smaller size. If you're mm -hmm. so stupid as to do big size, you're probably going to get whacked. Um, I just don't think there's any way around the learning curve. I think the best thing to do is just be conservative and recognize that there's no need to pay too much money for your education. Everybody's going to pay a little bit of money for an education. There's mm -hmm. just no way around that, you know. But I do know lots of people that have traded for a year and not lost money. You see, that's the whole point of the game. It's it's the not losing. Quit quit trying to knock it out of the park or make money. Just quit trying to make money and just think about not losing money and think about what is your process? What is your strategy? What is your methodology? You know, it, it, are you following the game plan and the signals? You know, if you put yourself into that type of framework, it's much more um, akin to counting cards, you know, and, and watching is the deck hot or cold and just counting mm -hmm. the cards instead of trying to force something. And and um, you're just there to gain experience. Yes, uh, 
Uh, yeah. I'm so happy you said that. You're there to gain experience. Um, when I first started trading, there were a number, number of people I knew from the wheat pit that I walked around and talked to and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting started. You know, what, what can you tell me? And they'd say, well, you know, don't lose money. Um, and I'm like, well, yeah, I don't want to lose money. I'm, I, I want to make a ton of money. Um, you know, why are you telling me that? And then they'd, and I would say that to them, and they'd be like, well, listen, you know, you're going to have to be learning things, you know, being new to these markets. And if you can break even on your first year and gain knowledge during that first year, you're going to be in really good shape. Yeah, you know, people neglect to remember that if you go to medical school, it's four years and then there's another two years of residency. You know, that's a six year period where you're paying money, not really making money, you know, before you can go off and make half a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And this business is exactly the same way. It's going to be you want to you want to aim for making that kind of money you're you're going to have to do your 6 years medical school and residency um so it's like any profession it takes time and study and it seems easy on the perp on the surface because everything looks like a little video game you know and yes. i think um people like to play video games and video games are a contained system, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have all these outside dynamic inputs and fuzzy variables, you know, that are constantly unfolding. And I think that's what trips people up is um, not recognizing that the marketplace and the financial data is not a closed system. So you can't play it as a linear game in the fashion that, right. you know, we're accustomed to. Right, right. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of traders come into the industry almost with um, overconfidence uh, in themselves only to be, you know, humbled and uh, maybe, you know, have a setback early on uh, because of that overconfidence. So, you know, I I'm really happy that you had, you know, talked about, um, you know, just just learning Learn, learn it first. You know, everything good will come after you, you know, know what you're doing. Well, that's doing. the nice thing that, you know, with your top step about the simulator that you've got, um, it's a great tool to get a feel for different statistics and metrics, you know, without having to put real money in the market. But yet it's got the intensity of being a game you see it's got the intensity yes. as if you were trading real money because uh your combine has winners and losers and you know and, and you can see how other people are doing so it adds a different realness than if somebody's just uh in their office playing with a trade station simulator and it it doesn't quite have the same you know uh uh edge to it but, you know, on the other hand, it's like you, you, you're, you're staying safe, you, you know, you're not making stupid errors that cost you $2,000. Sure, sure. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of why we're around, have uh, people learn this stuff and uh, profit from markets in a safe environment. Um, okay, juicy question here. 
or what trade did you make that um, you were most nervous about? Does anything come into mind? And if not, that that's fine too. Um, no, not really. Honestly, okay. it's just uh, you know, it's one of a thousand trades. I never did it on such big size that it wasn't manageable. Um, and you know you usually are going to stock a market for a little bit first before initiating the trade. So you have some type of structure or framework um, that you know where you're wrong, you know, you know where you're, uh, how the market should act. I mean, I've definitely had frustrating periods where, you know, a lot of my signals we're not working, you know, it might look like there's divergences on the daily chart and you don't recognize that the weeklies are the dominant at the time. And it, you know, it keeps on looking like it should be a buy and, and then you get out and then it keeps on looking like it should be a buy and then you get out and the whole thing just fails. I mean, you know, I think everybody's gone through those ruts or periods, but there was always a basis for the trade. You know, okay. there was a basis for the trade, even if you had a successive string of losers, you still you're not shooting from the hip. You're not being, you know, opinionated. You still have something that's giving a signal or an indication. It's just wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bad question. Good answer. <laughs> so for someone just getting started out right now in the markets, what's the best piece of advice you could give them? Other than learning, um, you know, we did just talk about learning um, a process or a system. If there's one piece of advice you could give, what, what would that be? Well, I would recommend everybody have a notebook and just jot down thoughts during the day. If you read something that makes sense, write it down. If you hear something interesting, write it down. Uh, if there's a chart formation, sketch it out, you know, research it, um, print off charts at the end of the day or see if you can find, you know, a dozen of this particular uh, patterns and then look for the times that it didn't work. You know, keep notebooks of this, uh, write down your trades and the record keeping, um, the more things that you can do by hand like that, the more you'll start to feel in control and mm -hmm. it will help you get the upper hand on that little voice that might be uh, entering your head, you know, causing doubts or, or overthinking. You want to create as many tools as you can to learn to shut up that brain. So if it's just simply writing down the price every five minutes to get a feel for how fast it's moving mm -hmm. or, um, you know, those types of exercises. I, I spent a whole year printing off charts of the S&Ps on a five minute with the ticks plotted underneath and the uh, breadth plotted underneath and an oscillator plotted underneath. This is like back in... Oh, I don't know, like 19, you know, 89 or something, just so that I could see what was happening at those turning points. And I put it all in a big binder and I would go and I would circle the two or three key turning points during the day and study, you know, how were the indicators and the market internals looking right at that point. So those types of projects that you can scheme up for yourself um, are very helpful. I told you guys she was one of the most passionate people out there about these markets. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I suggest all the listeners uh, rewind that portion, go back and write all those things down. Um, extremely important stuff. Well, maybe we could take this time to maybe talk about yourself a, a little bit. Uh, well, before I before I thank you for having us, having you on. Is there anywhere online where people can find you or, uh, you know, find information about you or a website? Um, I know that you and I have been emailing back and forth over the last couple of weeks about this new book that you're trying to put together. You know, I know that's a little ways out, but, you know, tell us about tell us where we Mick, can you've find got you got a manuscript in your hand for pete's sakes you know <laughs> <laughs> okay just real briefly i do have a website lindarashke.net um it was set up as a blog and i think i've i write about six posts a year so you're not going to find anything earth shattering on there however you will see i've got tons of articles and research and resources that are probably going to be of interest if you go and um, sign my guest book there. It's I don't have any list. I, I don't sell anything. You'll see I have zero products. I don't do mentoring. I don't do courses. I don't do anything. Um, but if you sign my list, there's a, a little spot that you can ask questions there or make comments. And if I um, if I ever do do anything like, which is pretty rare, maybe uh, some event, I might send uh, an email out, but you'll maybe get one once every six months months if I do. Um, this book that I have been writing, it was something I, I started outlining books like 15 years ago, but it's really hard to write a book when the markets are trading. So I, I, I just don't see how you can trade and do other things. I just don't believe that if you're a full-time trader and you're making your money or you're living from trading, you can do other activities. So that's why this book never happened. But I um, made a bet with my daughter. Um, <laughs> and she had to finish getting her master's in, in opera. So um, this book started off, it's, it's nothing technical. It's about all the bad stuff that happened to me over my career. It's called Fear and Loathing in the Financial Markets. <laughs> and you'll see how I am on the wrong side of every big trade, every outlier, every random unforeseeable event, you know, um, when the Fed came in and announced that they were going to take over Fannie Mae and and Freddie Mac, you know, when the markets were starting to turn ugly in the mid 2000s. An hour earlier that day, I had shorted 600 S&P futures and 600 Russell futures uh, one hour earlier on that Friday. And then I had to run off to the dentist to get a cracked molar fixed and um, the Fed announced that they were going to um, you know take take over these two failing firms and that Sunday night the S&P's opened 40 points higher um, like for example I hadn't traded meats for six months and the week that I put on a position on in, in the meats that Sunday evening, I saw on the newspaper a little baby pig with a, with a hypodermic needle in its mouth, and swine flu was announced, and the hogs went limit down Monday and Tuesday the next day. So these random, unfortunate outlier events 
I'll tell you, you think you've had a bad day or a bad trade, wait till you read my book. I'll I'll tell us on the wrong side of everything. A lot of juicy yeah. stories in there with uh, oh, as many yeah. years as you've been in the so, futures you know, market. I thought it would be kind of fun. Everybody likes to pound their chest and, and brag on their good trades, and this is kind of like an eye-opener as to all the – other stuff that can happen and, in this business, and as well. only a, a real trader is gonna, you know, divulge those kind of stories uh, and that information. You know, um. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one more. It was um, I had moved my trading operations to Revco's um, desk, which was in New York, and it was one block from the Trade Center. And I, at the time that that plane flew into the building, when we had our unfortunate. Uh, you know, implosion there. I had my largest short position ever in the euro dollars. And I tried to pick up the phone to get out of my position, but everybody had already evacuated the desk at Revco and abandoned the building. And uh, fortunately, they weren't in that particular um, World Trade Center. They were a block down the way, but I couldn't get out. And then they halted the markets, and the markets stayed closed for uh, five days. And I don't even want to tell you what a bloodbath it was when they reopened. So just stuff like that. The real juicy stories. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still alive today, so that should give everybody hope out there. <laughs> um, everybody, uh, Linda's website is lindarashke.net. That's L-I-N-D-A-R-A-S-C-H-K-E.net. Um, so check out the website. Linda, this was a lot of fun. Um, I look forward to following up with you, you know, in the in the coming weeks and hopefully get together uh, for, you know, maybe a little time out on the lake. But I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and chatting with me. Um, thanks for talking to our users. You're, you're such an influential person in the industry, and, you know, uh, that's so easy to understand after this conversation we have. You know your stuff. You've been around the block. You're committed to what you do. You're passionate about what you do. And um, you're always eager to learn new things. Always be flexible and nimble in the markets. Just just great characteristics of a good trader and, you know, an even better person. You know, I, I feel so fortunate to have you as a friend now. And having been able to work with you, one of the greater opportunities in my career. And uh, I just I thank you for it all. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll see you out on the boat in a couple of weeks. How about that? That sounds great. You have, have <laughs> And invite a... me to your next top step party. <laughs> we will. We will. You bet. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mick. Have a great afternoon, Linda. Wow. Well done, Mick. Mick, I really like that. Thanks, Eddie. I had a great time talking to a great friend. Now, now Mick, Linda sets some standards for a successful path of day trading. You know, different concepts with changing markets. How did you take what she said and mark it off your checklist to help you with your trading? Well, going back to what she said, well, Eddie, I I really like a lot what Linda said about uh, the top-down approach and knowing what the trend for the higher time frame is. You need to know if your market is overall, if it's been going up, if it's been going down, or if it's going sideways. Um, Not only does she mention, you know, knowing the trend for the day, I think that should be the first thing on your checklist, but... Also, very important to monitor your performance as you trade. 
day to day, week to week, month to month. My strategy was it working today? Uh, is it, it was it working the day before that? You want to review your performance on a daily basis. If you've got a few losing days during a week with trading one strategy, maybe that tells you that your strategy isn't working in the current market environment. Obviously, that could change for the upcoming week, but is this strategy working day to day, week to week? And then you want to look at it month to month, too. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing I got to say is it's it's so impressive how thorough Linda is. You know, I mean, you know, I, I know she was like this, you know, when I first met her and first did a little research on, uh, you know, her views and her approaches to the market. It, it just sort of blows me away. It's one of her edges, definitely. You know, she's passionate about what she does. And as as I've said before, it's the most passionate people in this industry that are going to take money away from you. So you need to have that shared passion and commitment. Right. Oh, definitely. Now, Mick, technicals, fundamentals. You asked Linda about her being a technical analyst. Now, she mentioned fundamentals are important in investing cash on the sidelines, and money flows. Now, I'm going to say as, as smart traders we are, of course we are, um, you always need to keep an eye on those indicators. Mick, what's a good way you remind traders how to keep on track? Well, as far as keeping on track, stick to your plan. Um, as a trader, you want to know if you fall in the fundamental trader category, the technical trader category, or potentially market making. There's some of those... Uh, speculators out there that will cross over uh, technicals with fundamentals, but you've got to stick to your plan. If you're a purely technical trader, you might not want to get caught up in the fundamental noise of your trading. Stick to your technicals. One of the most important things I learned about gaining success in trading was first to learn how to break even on my trades. Right. Oh, if, yeah. I, if I Early on, if you're breaking even, you're winning. And Linda compares medical school to trading That's right. uh, on how long it takes to become successful. This is something that she has always, you know, something she's always instilled on me is, you know, this is going to take some time. This is going to take some time. This is going to take some time. And many people don't realize how much time it does take. It's a skill. And like any skill, to be very good at it, you got to put in the time and work. You know, Mick, we've been involved in the financial trading industry for a very long time and it's still still uh the human aspect of trading <laughs> every once in a while pops its head out and uh you know looks me in the eye and says ha, now you're doing it wrong and and i gotta catch myself but being experienced that long i can catch myself much quicker than somebody uh, that doesn't realize that uh, the, the the human nature uh, is taking over in trading. Certainly, certainly. I think as you participate in markets, um, if you do find yourself doing something that you've learned from in the past, you might have you know an old flashback come across come through your mind, and you'll remember, hey, I know this is you know something I shouldn't be doing, or this is a bad situation, and you get out of it very quick to you know cut things that you're uncertain about right that's smart trader of course mick you, you talk to many of our smart funded traders each and every day here at top step trader uh, linda talks about how some traders play the market as a linear game yes i love games but sometimes it's not wise to play 
a trading game with your platform. Have some of these traders ever found themselves turning from being a trader into a gamer? And, and how have you got them back on track? Well, I've seen traders turn into gamblers. As far as gaming, maybe gamers will, will become traders. Traders turn into gamers. Uh, that can happen. I, I, I'll say when I was making markets in the grains, trading the calendar spreads, I did view that as a game, a little bit like a video game. We were managing money, but it, it was a little bit more like a video game. You know, buy it at one to sell it at two. If you can't sell it at two... You know, scratch the ones, don't, you know, don't lose a tick on the trade. So that was kind of a video game. Very, very niche, um, you know, approach to the markets, though. All right, right. So, Eddie, I do want to stress on what Linda said a few times in these interviews, and that's to do your homework. Um, keep a journal. Adding what's relevant to the markets and how you can gain your edge with that knowledge and information you've collected and Eddie, for those traders that turn to gamblers, um, usually it's mo emotions that are involved in that. And getting those people that go from traders to gamblers back to traders again, it's all about talking about the emotions and how they're feeling and getting back to risk management, the money management side of it. Uh, when you can look at something as clear cut as the P&L, you know, coming in, going out, uh, then you've got facts to work off of. And you just you need to have concrete, hard facts to look at. Let me ask you. I know that um, you know a lot of uh, educators say don't don't look at your PNL, don't watch that PNL. What's the pro and the con on that? Well, so much with watching the the PNL is the con to it. Uh, a lot of newer traders, myself included, back in the day when I started trading. I would trade my P&L. I would trade off the P&L a little bit. I would base trading decisions on how much I was up or down for the day for that trade. If I had made 10 trades in a day and my equity high was $1,500 on the day, um, but I took another trade and I went from being up 1500 on the day to you know up only 900 on the day, naturally for someone who's new and less disciplined as those who have survived in this industry, it, it's hard not to want to get back to being up $1,500 on the day, you know? You you want to get that back, and all too often a trader will put another trade on just, just throwing something at the wall to try and get that extra $600 back to be where they were at, at their best for the day usually only to slip another $600 down. And that's just the way it works when you're trading your P&L. I know, I know the people that are okay with watching it usually aren't affected as much by it. A lot of traders who don't worry, who don't watch the P&L um, might be doing that because they know it can affect them and they can trade based off their P&L. I just have to say this as you know, someone who is really concerned with risk. The, the profit and loss, it's a byproduct of your good or bad trades. So look for the good trades. Profits are going to be a byproduct of those. It's as simple as that. All right, cool. Uh, now, w one of the things also, Mick, is that uh, Linda, uh, i I, I got to mention it again. I mean, she really does the work. You know, after markets, then it's time for the homework. It's time to uh, journal. Tell me a little bit about that working with Linda. Uh, I've got, I've just got to say, you know, working with her, I, I've got to stress that she just, she did her homework. She put in a lot of time.
what you put in is what you're going to get out. That's right. And um, I got to say, uh, Mick, this was an awesome interview, an eye opener, an eye opener, and and I'm I'm really hoping that. Uh, since you know her so well, maybe we can get Linda back here and do that. So, Linda, if you're listening, thank you for sharing your valuable knowledge. Uh, and she had so much to share. Thank you, Mick, for joining us on this educational interview. And, uh, hey, by the way, when you're taking the boat out again, uh, give me a call. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Eddie. It was fun being on, and thank you for having me. All right, traders, as always, thanks for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. Until then, we'll see you next time. Take care. See you, Mick. Bye-bye. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.